My name is Sandra Lindsay. I've been going to Oakwood for probably about, I don't know, I've kind of lost track, about four years, maybe, um, three, maybe, three to four years. Um, I'll just start with uh, the beginning. My mom uh, took us to church probably um, most of my childhood until I was about 15 or 16. She had us pretty much involved in, in the things. We went to a Methodist church and we she had us involved in like the choir and but when I was like 15 or 16, we just stopped going to church. Um, I don't know, I think my mom just got tired of fighting with us to go because we were teenagers and everything. And so she didn't really press, the, press it anymore. But um, um, I never got, during that time, I never really felt called to like give my life to Jesus. Still, even in my teenage years, when I would just pick up my Bible and read it like at night before I went to bed. And usually it was the Psalms, sometimes it was other things, but I always I always loved the Psalms. And um, then when I was 18, um, I got pregnant. I wasn't married, so obviously living a life contrary to what um, Chris want me to be living. Um, and the father uh, said if, if I didn't have an abortion that he was gonna kill himself. So um, I reluctantly, and cried a lot, <laughs> reluctantly agreed to this. And, um, but then that night after um, we had that conversation, that night I, all I could do is just cry. I just cried and I prayed and I cried and I prayed. And somewhere in the early morning hours, I the, just God put, this, uh, put these words in my mind, he says, your worst fear is to accidentally kill somebody in a car accident or whatever, and you're contemplating willfully taking a life. And, and all of a sudden, just like a peace and a kind of strength that I didn't know I had came over me, and I just knew that whatever was coming, I could, I could do it um, with his help. And um, so I had the baby. Um, the father did not take his own life, but he still didn't want too much to do with um, being a father. So um, we just carried on. And I wish I could say at that point I gave my life um, to Jesus, but I didn't. I didn't. Um, probably over the next seven years, I ended up married two times and was really far, far from Jesus. But. I still picked up the Bible from time to time and read it just like I did when I was when I was a teenager. Um, just always knowing, I don't know, something inside me knew that somewhere in this book there was the answer to everything I was searching for in all the wrong places. Not to think of a song, but um, then um, as my um, my second marriage, uh, we, I had another son. Um, in my second marriage, and um, as that was falling apart, <laughs> my second marriage was totally just collapsing. And um, I started to go back to church, and um, I started going to a Bible study. And um, my husband at the time agreed to go do the Bible study, and we we're doing marriage counseling. We did that, and during that time is when I decided to give my life um, to Jesus. I I just 
I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what was said that was so important or anything. I just know that I had to, I had to be baptized and I had to do it as soon as possible. So um, I called the person that I was doing the Bible study with and I, and I asked him if he could meet me at church that night because I wanted to be baptized, which just so happened to be my my birthday. I can't remember the date. It's written down, but I, it's May 29th, and I believe it's 19, uh, 1996. Um, I was baptized, and it was a kind of a really long day waiting for that time that I could be baptized. And um, it was a long day, but the, probably the best day uh, ever. No, the best day. Um, and um, shortly after that, uh, my husband did end up going um, going to prison for things that he had done in our home. And um, so I thank God that I had Jesus and I had his strength and his Holy Spirit to guide me through those times because I could not have done it on my own. Um, I had my second son. So at this point, I have three kids, and I'm on my own again. But I could not have gotten through that time without Jesus and without God's people. God's people are the ones that were like the hands and feet of him, the physical um, part of Jesus that was there to help me and guide me and direct me and, all, and just listen, give me wisdom. They helped me have a place to live. They helped me sometimes have food on my table and eat in my home. I really, I really could not have done it without them and so grateful, so grateful to them. And it's during this time when I met my husband now, he's my best friend. And um, we've been married like 22 years. And um, he just showed up when I was trying to move out of my um, house into a new house, my house trailer into a new house trailer. Um, um, he came, he just showed up because they asked for help from church, from the people at church and he just showed up. He was pretty much the only one that showed up. And so I got to, I got to meet him there and then we were, uh, friends for, for like a year and a half or so. And then he was over, he would come over all the time and help with little things at my house, like fix things that need to be fixed and, you know, he would check on, in on me. And then, um. We were just friends, and then one day he came over to fix, help me fix my fence, and um, he asked me to come out to help him uh, tighten down some bolts by the gate, and so I went out and I helped him, and um, during this time, I know this is kind of a little bit mushy, <laughs> but um, when we were tightening down the bolts, our hands um, touched, and um, it was it was uh, pretty shocking. <laughs> it just felt something inside me and I was like, oh my goodness. And then I just kind of panicked a little and I went inside my house and I said, I just said, God, if you're trying to tell me something, um, I think I'm getting the message here. It was just hard because it was, he was just so unlike the men I had been with before. He was um, just dependable and nice and handsome. He was in the military. And my kind of guy was a little more rough around the edges than that. Um, but God really showed me, um, he just gave me the biggest gift ever in my husband. I don't know, probably after that we dated for like maybe a year. And then we got married. Really, there's no bigger proof that God 
cares about us, loves us, that God is real, then my husband agreeing to marry me and having three small children to help take care of. And um, I don't know, um, he has uh, seen us through a lot of things. I'm not saying that it was easy all the time. I'm, there's probably times where he was probably, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? But that's where God came in and he held us together through everything. We've had a lot of trials over 22 years. I mean, it's 22 years since it's been there. And I don't want to, you know, say everything was happily ever after up there because it wasn't. We've had so many struggles with children. It's never easy bringing two families together. But what I do know is that I'm grateful to God's people for getting me through the hard times. I'm grateful for my mother for taking me to church um, and introducing me to the Bible and to um, God's people. And I really just wanted everybody to know that how if you listen and obey to God, to the, just listen, just listen, you will hear God's voice and you will, he will direct you in the way that you should go. Well, good morning, church. Uh, that is a tremendous example and story of Sandra and how the church, it's a beautiful picture how the church became the church for her. Now, she's not here today. She's not just skipping. She is uh, preparing to leave tomorrow to Zambia, Africa on a medical mission trip with the Church of Christ from Abilene, Texas. And so think about her this week. Uh, say a prayer for her. But what a beautiful picture of the church doing what the church is supposed to do. Where we've got to get to the point where we understand the church is more than just a place where we come to sing some songs, worship the Lord, listen to a message. But we actually do what the church, what God intended the church to do. And the church absolutely made a difference in Sandra's life. One of the things that her husband told me after the first service was, and she didn't share this, but the house that she moved from, the trailer house, had no heat and air conditioning or anything like that. The ladies of the church actually raised the money to buy her that other house. And then they asked for help to show, you know, people to, to come and... Um, you know, fate would have it that he would show up, but he broke a rib helping move that day. So he moved all of that furniture that day with a, with a broken rib. And those ladies in the church functioned as the church for her. You know, I've been in the church my entire life. Since my very first Sunday I was alive on the face of this earth, I was in church. I've never not been a part of the church. I don't know what it feels like not to be a part of the body of Christ, not to be a part of his family. But I work with people and have to deal with people sometimes on a regular basis that are not part of the church. And then all of a sudden there's a crisis in their home and they need a pastor. Or maybe somebody gets engaged and they need a place to do a wedding. Somebody dies, they need a place to do a funeral and a 
preacher to say some nice words about somebody that they don't know. And now all of a sudden, they realize, I don't have a church family. I want to tell you, friends, the church isn't perfect. In fact, the church sometimes is messy. It's because there are messy people in the church, and I'm one of them. Sometimes the church will disappoint you because, let's face it, people disappoint each other, don't they? Sometimes the church will fail to meet your expectations and not be what you expect the church to be for you. Sometimes, even within the church, there are disagreements among members, and it has to be worked out. That happens in families sometimes. And sometimes the church fails to function as God intended it to function. But when the church becomes and does what God intends, let me tell you, it is a beautiful thing. If you've ever walked into a church before and you've instantly felt loved and accepted and you knew it was a warm, welcoming place and you realize, okay, this is what church is supposed to to feel like. There's love here. But maybe you've walked into a church sometime and you realize, man, there is no love here. These people do not care for each other. Maybe you're here today and you've been hurt at some point in time by the church. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church at some point in time in your life. Maybe you've been disappointed by the members of the church. Church hadn't met your expectations. Well, we can't do the harm and that hurt, but we can look at the book of Acts today and learn a lesson for us what God expects the church to be like, and then follow that model. So you have your Bibles today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verse 42 and following in in chapter 2, and then we're going to skip over a couple of other chapters. I'm reading today from the New International Version. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now we're talking about the church here. They is the church. To the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and have everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added daily to the number those who were being saved. Now skip over to chapter 4. Verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Now, I didn't include these next two verses in my original passage that I wanted to share, but I'm going to. It's an example. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Never in the history of the church have we seen the church function and operate as beautifully and as selflessly as we see here in the book of Acts, the early church, the original church. And it shouldn't surprise us that the church grew like crazy, faster than at any other point in time in history. Why? Because the church realized that they needed to love each other, they were concerned for each other, and they helped each other anyone who had a need. They loved each other. They met each each other's needs. Do you get that? That's why it was such an exciting time to be a part of the church. But Jesus knew there'd be times when we wouldn't get along. And that's why in one of his last prayers, he prayed, Lord, unify them. Make them one. Because he knew there would be some times in our life where the church would have disagreements with each other. So he prayed, Lord, make them one. Make them one in heart and mind. Sandra shared how important the church family was for her. And they became the church, just like the church as we see in the book of Acts. And as we look at that first church, it grew because they were more interested and concerned with the needs of others than they were their own needs. Now, I think the way they ministered to each other can be divided into two, two categories. First, they met the physical needs of each other, and then they met the emotional needs of each other. As we see in verse 34 and 35, there were no needy persons among them. Now, I want you to notice something here. No one told them that they had to sell these homes, these fields, their possessions, and bring this money. They did it 100% voluntarily. There wasn't any expectation that you had to do this if you were going to be a part of the church. They did this completely voluntarily because they loved each other and they saw needs and they wanted to meet each other's needs. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 said, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So let's look at these two areas which they met needs. First, They ministered to the physical needs. So let's stop here for just a minute and kind of dive in a little bit about the physical needs. If you look at how Jesus operated and how he conducted his ministry, he often used the physical need to open the door to a spiritual need. Sometimes he healed people. Sometimes he fed people. Sometimes he raised people from the dead. Sometimes he performed another miracle. Sometimes he got on to the Pharisees. But he met some physical needs often, which opened the door for them to receive the spiritual need, what they really needed. So from a biblical perspective, Christianity is about helping others. So if you want a great definition of what is Christianity, 
It's helping each other. And we all need to have the motive that if I give them Jesus, they just might get saved. I'm going to repeat that. We need to have the motive that if I give them Jesus, they just might get saved. They might accept Jesus himself. That's what they were doing in Acts chapter 2. These Christians understood that people were far more important than things. That's the very same lesson that Jesus taught the young, rich young ruler. When he came and said, what, what do I need to do? Jesus, I want to follow you. And he said, okay, go sell everything you have and give the money away and then come follow me. And he went away sad and grieved because he was very wealthy. It was more than he wanted to do, more than he could do, more than he was willing to do. His things were more important than following Jesus. The early church took care of each other. They realized that people were more important than their possessions. And I want you to to notice something here, too, that they were involved individually as well as a corporate body. Individually, they got involved. Now, often we get calls at the church, hey, so-and-so needs something. Could, could you send somebody over to take care of that? Could you go, go do that? So-and-so needs their lawn mowed or something, you know. Now, if God lays so I'm going to just challenge you. If God lays something on your heart to help somebody, why not just go do, do it? Meet that need. If you have the ability and the capacity to meet that need, just go do it. That's what they did in the book of Acts. They saw a need, and they just met that need. Now, as a church body, sometimes we can help needs that individually cannot be met. And when we pool our resources and our efforts and our energy and talents together, we can do some remarkable, amazing things But if God lays something or someone on your heart, probably he expects you to go do it. We try to make all sorts of excuses for not getting involved personally. Well, I don't have the, you know, I would go do that, but I'm, I'm really busy. I just don't have the time to do that. Or I don't really maybe know what I, how to handle that or how to help them. I'm not qualified, you know. Maybe they don't want my help. That was one of the things that Sandra's husband, Alan, told me that Sandra never asked for help. It was always her kids or somebody in the church. Hey, mom's having to climb out of the the back seat of the, the van because the door won't open. And it was some little bolt. Or something's not working in the house. And she would never tell, ask for help, but maybe the kids would. So we use that, well, they maybe don't need any help. We have many, many examples in our church right now that most of you that will never hear about, about people taking care of each other. We had a a man in our church that mowed a widow's lawn for years. No money, no expectation. He just took care of it, went and mowed it, just saw it was time to mow. He mowed it, sprayed it, edged it, weeded it, just took care of it. For no money, just free. He just knew it needed to be done until she eventually moved away to be closer to her family. 
We have so many examples of some of the guys in our church that have heard about a need of maybe somebody had some trees or some stuff at their house that they physically were unable to do that and they showed up with chainsaws, trailers, rakes, and they just took care of it. Branches on limbs and on, on houses, on, on things like that, growing up over, and they just came and just met the need. That's a beautiful thing. We have examples of, of ladies that have provided meals for people that have had surgeries or maybe a death and it wasn't a Sunday school class. It wasn't some, some small group. It was just somebody that saw a need and reached out and said, hey, I'm going to do this. Would you help join with me in meeting this person's need? We have a lady in our church that told me Wednesday night that there's somebody here, and they're here this morning, that hauls their mower in at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and mows their yard. And not just their yard, but her parents' yard, too, because they're kind of going through some health issues right now. That's the church being the church. That's what the early church did. And Scripture said they were in one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, can you imagine living like that? You wouldn't need a lawnmower. You wouldn't need a camper. You wouldn't need a motor home, a boat. It was common possession. So, you wouldn't need a lake house. It was our lake house, right? I'm speaking up for it this week, okay? Because <laughs> it's going to be hot. Now, we're not all called to pool our money and move in together, but these verses and acts should challenge us to consider what does it mean for us to live in community that shares life together and to have a common purpose and to meet the needs of each other. What's that look like? Parents, we often know that sometimes our children begin to squabble and fight, but you know one of the best ways to keep them from squabbling and fighting is to give them a common goal, a task, something that they can work towards rather than fight with each other that they can actually try to accomplish. Patty Gasso, and I'm a big fan of Patty Gasso right now. She's a, the Oklahoma University softball coach, a, a tremendous coach, but she's even a better person and, and a great Christian leader. One of the things that she does every year during the middle of the season, right in the heart of the, the season, when, it, when maybe things get a little tense, when they're spending a lot of time, they, they leave their bats, their gloves, their balls, and they, and they go on this retreat, get away for a few days, and they don't do anything with softball. They do some team building, some exercises. They work together to accomplish something. The one overriding theme that we see here in the book of Acts was their spirit of generosity. That type of generosity comes when we recognize that all we have is God's, and we simply get to hold these things for a while on the earth. They don't belong to us. And that's what this church recognized, that my house, my land, my property, those are just things that truly belong to God, and I just get to, to hold the keys, or I just get to hold on to these for a little while but I'm expected to share and to help others. That's what the church did. 
Second thing the church did was they ministered to emotional needs. Now, it's important for us to understand that not every need is a financial need or some type of material need. Sometimes people don't need money. Maybe they just need someone to love them. Maybe they need someone to be a friend. Maybe they need support as they walk through life that something's happened and they just need somebody to come alongside of them to love them, support them, encourage them. But sometimes, let's face it, it might be easier for us to open up our wallet or our purse and to give a few dollars to a cause or contribute to something rather than actually get involved ourselves, right? Well, I don't have time to go do that, but here, let me give a few dollars for that rather than personally get involved in someone's life. Meeting someone's emotional needs might mean that you actually have to get your hands dirty in serving. It probably means you're going to have to spend some time with them. And I believe the greatest help comes from those who have been there that help other people deal with their life's difficulties and circumstances. And they lift each other up sharing with each other, bearing each other's burdens, just as the Lord commands us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know our new great care ministry that uh, just started a few weeks ago happened because somebody has walked that path themselves and saw the need and decided that's something our church needs. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Tony Campolo, he's one of my favorite authors and speakers, tells about the time that he got a phone call from his mom and said, Mrs. Kilpatrick died. He said, now, if you're 50 years old and you're an Italian, but your mom calls you and said, Mrs. Kilpatrick died and you need to go to her funeral, he said, guess what? You make it happen. Mrs. Kilpatrick lived down the street from him as he was growing up in Philadelphia, and she told him when the funeral was. Okay. And he showed up, ready to go to that funeral, and he was running a little late and rushed in, came into the, to the chapel and realized he was the only one there besides one lady and he sat down beside her and then he looked in the casket and it wasn't Mrs. Kilpatrick it was a guy she and he realized I'm at the wrong place and so he was thinking I've got to get out of this situation and so he he was just about ready to get up and this lady turned around and put her hand on top of his and she said Did you know him? He said, what would you do? You're the only one there at the funeral. He said, I sat there through the whole service. And not only did I sit there through the service, but then I actually went to the graveside service, and she had no one to ride with him, so I I rode in the funeral car and sat there at the graveside, and he said, on the way back, um, he he said, Mrs. King, I want to be your friend, and I want to help you, but... uh, I got to be honest with you, I didn't know your husband. 
And she said, that's okay. She put her hand on, on his and she said, you'll never know what your being here today meant to me. That was the church being the church. Sandra shared the difference the church made in her life. And guess what? We too can make a difference in people's lives just like that if we apply the lessons that we have learned for us in the book of Acts. It's called love and action. And it's really impossible to serve people when you don't know their needs. And you probably won't know their needs until you get to know them. And when we live in that type of community together and we become the church like that, it is a beautiful thing. And we get to enjoy the goodness of God. 